Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. I'm going to preach just for the next uh, few minutes. <clears throat> um, I, I, guess, uh, I guess that the title of my message tonight will just be a... Um, What's more than right? What is more than right? Um, you can continue to play if you would. See, so trying to escape up there. Um, there. There's a story that I have shared before, and uh, I, I wanted to. You know, it, it really made me. It, it was drawn back to my remembrance, uh, partially because I love the names involved. Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorites. Somebody was going to buy me a bobblehead of Spurgeon for my for my desk. That would have been great. <clears throat> Amen. So just moving right along. Now, it was just, a, you know, Charles Spurgeon, this theologian and pastor and preacher, you know, very legendary guy. And it's like a little bearded bobblehead. And, uh, but Charles Spurgeon was a great man of God. And he was, a, uh, he was in London, England, uh, pastored a huge, huge, you know, church ministry there. And across town, there was, you know, basically his rivals. Although they wouldn't consider themselves rivals, but they pastored the two big churches that kind of, you know, went back and forth as far as size and attendance and impact. And that one was pastored by Joseph Parker. Uh, if you'll remember uh, him, he wrote a whole series of commentaries as well. Um, Joseph Parker, they both had churches in London in the 19th century. And on one occasion, uh, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. And then Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday uh, to hear his rebuttal. You know, it was you know, kind of like how politics are now. You know, you, you hear somebody go after each other now. You know, the, the media just wants to build, oh, they love something like that that'll sell papers. They want to hear people tear each other down. You know, bad news travels fast, and they're just trying to build it up. And so Spurgeon had, uh, had heard, you know, a, a misconstrued, you know, comment from, uh, from Parker and just went after him. And everyone was ready for the attack, ready, ready to see what the big rebuttal was going to be from his pulpit. And he said, quote, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today, and this is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest that we take a love offering here instead. Now, the crowd, which was overflowing to hear that rebuttal, was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Amen. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. And he said, you know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Isn't that great? A great story about how to return uh, and not to choose not to take offense. I guess the, the name of my, my message tonight, like I told you, but if I had another title, it would be that this... Uh, grace comes in rags. Grace comes in rags. Jeremiah 38, read a good portion of scripture here. Um, Jeremiah 38, 1 says, Now Shephatiah, the son of Meton, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malachiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, he who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. 
But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live, and his life shall be a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, the city shall surely be given over to the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. So this is bad news. The prophecy is, is bad news. Verse 4 says, Therefore the princes said to the king, Please let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city in the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of the people, but their harm. So they're taking what is the truth, and because they don't like uh, what, what it's saying, they don't like the truth, um, they, they want to kill the messenger. Then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes, and the dungeon there was no water. Somebody say, No water. But mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now Ebed Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, and when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed Melech went out to the king's house and spoke to him. He spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil, and that they have done what they had done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, and they went to the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech and the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So read a whole bunch of scripture and flew through it. Jeremiah was saying the truth. He was prophesying what was going to happen, not what he wanted to happen necessarily, but what was going to happen. And everybody hated him. Some bunch of people, they threw him in the dungeon. So next thing you know, he is lodged in this morass, this mire, this, this thick, nasty, disgusting mud uh, in the prison, and uh, he is stuck there. And so then, you know, this, the, this Ethiopian eunuch finds out about it, asks to, you know, to pull him out of there because he's going to die where he's at. And, uh, and then it takes an interesting turn, the turn that uh, really uh, we want to talk about a little bit tonight. Understanding that the ropes... Um, being as weak as he was, and the pressure that 30 men would put to pull, if, if he is that stuck in the mud that 30 men need, are needed to pull him out of there, that is, that's really stuck. Dude, you're, you're in bad shape. And that would, they're like, man, we'll, we'll pull this, we'll pull these ropes right through this guy. He'll be destroyed by our attempt to save him. And so he thinks to himself, how can we get around this? You know, and he figures out a way to use rags and old clothes um, to pull him out instead, which are gentle, which are, you know, they, they don't tear into his skin. They don't destroy him. They don't hurt him. And so they find a way to go the extra mile and pull him out of the prison and set things right. And then he survives and is in recovery. Amen. Grace comes in rags. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace. Um, teach us something tonight about you, about how we ought to act, how we ought to uh, conduct ourselves, and help us to learn how to be more than just right. Because that in itself is not what grace is made out of. 
to go the extra mile, to love people um, in the way that they have to, in a sacrificial way, Lord, not to just set the people straight, uh, but to help them to be able to receive that grace and that love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Do you feel the weight of truth? Sometimes we sling it around back and forth and we're uh, a little cavalier with it. Another term would be willy-nilly. That'd be a good one. I like cavalier better. You know, I, I like my, my big words, but uh, be cavalier with something just means a little bit careless, a little bit wild, a little bit, uh, you know, you're carefree. Are you cavalier with the truth? Or do you do just kind of, you know, throw it around without a lot of concern because you know it's right, and if you're right, well, then, you know, everybody else, you know, figure it out. You know, you just... Do, you know, it, it is what it is, and that's how, you yeah. know, bless God, yeah, truth is truth, and, you know, if you don't like it, get over it, and, you know, okay, yeah, thank you for that, that was, a, that was a real blessing, your attitude in that, it really is, you're really, you're really, you're really helping a lot of people, no, you're not, because you, you, we still have to be sensitive, and honestly, people who really, really wield truth well feel its weight, they, 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 don't, they don't lance into people or, 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 or point out the sin or that with, with a, a light heart, it's with a heavy heart because they love people and, and they, they are concerned. They understand the very weight of truth. It's kind of what I was thinking about that, that uh, Ethiopian. Like he, he could just throw the ropes down. They let him down with the ropes. We can pull him up with the ropes. But he went the extra mile. He felt the weight of his responsibility of saving this guy. If you have the mind and heart of Christ, then the truth is not a club to beat people with, but a remedy to serve people with. Amen? My puppies right now, actually they just came through this, but I'm going to use the example anyway. My puppies are going through a stage I like to call the biting stage. The biting stage. Have you seen puppy teeth? Like, you know, when they're real young, like when they first come out? They're like little daggers. They're horrible. They're so horrible. Like, they're very, very pokey. You know, they're sharp little teeth. Amen? And uh, so in this stage, they have just gained these teeth, and they're, and they're taking them out for a spin. You know, they've just acquired these little, these little biters, and they're chomping on everything, and they bite each other most of all. You know, they, 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 they try and bite mom, but, uh, you know, even after that, they go through the stage where they want to bite everything and gnaw on everything and use this new teeth that they have. And uh, so at first, I, was, I would get really upset with them because, you know, they would bite each other, and I would get mad because I don't want to see them hurt each other. And, you know, one would yelp, and, ah, you know, and I'm like, hey, that's bad. You stop doing that. And I would, you know, try and punish them and correct this. Um, you know, and they, they would keep doing it. And then the next one, he'll bite the other one. And then he'll turn around and go, and then bite him back. And so it's super cute. But I didn't like to hear him get hurt, you know. Even though it wasn't like a serious hurt, it was more just like an annoying yelp. Um, but this is the biting stage. And I found out, you know, as I continued to, you know, to know, to learn what I'm doing, you know, that this is a very crucial stage for them because right now they are learning. I've got two of them learning that right now. They are learning what it feels like when you get bit. And if you separate them out, you don't let them go through that stage, they never do learn not to do that. And then you raise a biter dog. They do that. I've seen this now. I've seen this long enough to know what I'm talking about. They they don't understand what you know what it's like to get bit. So they're real they're they're real willy nilly and cavalier with the way that they bite on things and chew on things. But once they've done that to each other about a thousand times, it seems like then they don't really do that very much anymore because they know how it feels. You know they they stop doing that because they get it. 
and they train each other how it feels to have you know those little chompers latch onto you. And so in those like, you know, usually about two weeks when they first got their teeth and they're just going to town on each other and then they, they figured out, well, nobody likes to get bit back. And they do get bit back. You know, you bite it, you get bit back. And, and so I have to be real careful not to deny that because if I deny them that and I, they don't figure it out and learn intuitively that you, you have to be careful who you bite because it hurts, then, th- then you know, I'll raise a, a dog and then give somebody a dog who doesn't have a concept of how what they're doing really affects other, other people or other dogs. You know, now they're, they're biting on people. They don't, and, it's, and the funny thing is it's not even that they're mean. It's not even that they're vicious or, or, or cruel. They just do that. They, you know, they, they're just, that's what they do. They're just learning. And then if I don't let them learn from each other, they never will. They never will learn from anything else. And you raise a biter, and then they don't really even understand that. And I just really began to think about that. How we, uh, sometimes getting bit is the only way we learn how bad it hurts. And uh, sometimes we don't give enough thought to that. We, we, you know, especially if you maybe you've been, you're living right and you've been saved maybe for a little while, then you, you kind of forget um, what it's like to be, you know, in bad shape spiritually. You kind of learn, you, you forget what it's like to be in the pit. And then it's real easy to just throw ropes down there or say, well, you probably shouldn't have, you did something to belong in the pit, you know, and they, you, you just, you know, yada, yada. And we kind of take this high horse attitude with people and, you know, who are, who are caught and lost in sin and they're broken and, and we forget about that. And then that kind of chips away at our ability to empathize and truly practice grace on them. We, we no longer, we, we, we feel like we don't, uh, you know, we don't know what it's like to be there anymore. Some of us never will know what it's like to be so, so broken and on drugs or addicted to these certain things. We never do understand, and praise God that you don't, but you still are not excused from the concept of giving grace where grace is needed. It's really easy to take that high-handed approach with people and just say, oh, well, you shouldn't have done it, you know, but if you've never been bit by sin, you've never really walked the path that these people are on, you've never received these hurts, then you don't really understand understand so don't be that way watch your teeth amen because people are sensitive people people especially people who are already hurting people are already wounded feel the weight of truth truth is weighty whenever you're reaching out to people whenever you're trying to correct them do that with a heavy heart and prayerfully and, and, and with love in your heart not just with a you know self congratulations because you're in a different place than they are you're making better decisions don't go into a situation like that if you are you might as well stay out of it if you're not serving people with what you're doing with the ministry that that the ministry that you have love people I feel like I've said most of what I want to say tonight. I'm just going to skip point two and three and go right to point four. Don't, don't, tell, me I, you know, don't tell me I drag everything out. Just follow the Lord. Um, this, and this is kind of what I want to say uh, in closing. Or maybe not closing. Four out of five. Grace has nothing to do with what's right. case for you. Grace has nothing to do with what's right and just or what's wrong. Some Christians do surgery with a chainsaw and that's not grace. And so I remind you as a body, you know, if you're saved, 
Say amen. amen. Praise God. So we're the body of Christ. But here's the deal. What was right and just and fair would have sent us all to hell for eternity. So think about that next time you cross your arm and say, yeah, well, it's fair, it's just, it's right. Yeah, yeah, it's the truth. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, it's truth, isn't it? And excuse a mean-spirited attack on somebody. Excuse an insensitivity to somebody who needs grace. What was right, what was true, you know, what, what, what's fair, if it's all, all's fair, I don't go to heaven because Jesus didn't deserve the cross. And I did. So if we're going to operate and receive grace, then let's just be real about it. Let, let, let's, let's do it all the way. Let's extend that same level of grace. I do not deserve heaven. I don't deserve to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I don't deserve the blessings in my life. I have done nothing. My righteousness is no more than the filthy rags that they pulled that prophet out of there with. And when it comes to salvation, I didn't even provide the rags. We have to remember that that's where we are. That's where we come from. We, you know, if, if we're going to just be like, mm, it's right, it's fair, you know, we just pull them on up, you know, with the rope and not have grace towards people, then uh, we don't have any right to claim that same grace for us where Jesus took our place. So next time that we're tempted to beat people with the, the right stick, remember where you'd be if only we got what we deserved. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't preach truth. That doesn't mean that we don't speak into people's lives and say, this is what the word says. Honestly, that's the highest form of mercy uh, to tell them the truth. Like, it, it is, it is not, not anything laudable or anything uh, you know, to, to write home about or anything to be proud of that you don't have the courage to tell people the truth about things that, that can send them to heaven or hell. That's nothing to be proud about. I'm so graceful and so merciful that I let people continue in sin and just pretend like it's not going to sin, you know, going to have terrible effects in their life. That's nothing to be proud about. Rather, those difficult conversations, and they should be difficult because we should be praying about it. We should care. We should, we should have mercy and grace, you know, in, in the mind and spirit of Christ when we're doing it. But they do need to happen. Amen? I, I kinda, I'll kind of air this out real quick. Um, some ministers won't talk about you know the uh, you know the the difficult topics that are kind of countercultural today. They really won't, and they always cloak it in the same way. They'll say something like, uh, "You know, oh Christian, you know, they always want to be. I'm, I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the nice ones. You know, everybody wants to be one of the nice ones and then bash everybody else who's actually telling the truth. I'm one of the I'm one of the good ones. I'm one of the nice guys. You know, I would never you know contradict sin in your life." You're not doing nobody any favors. Ah, nobody doing no one any favors. You're doing a lot of damage. I want to. I want to. I want to be you know Mr. Popular. I want to you know and just just deal with the fun stuff, the grace, but certainly not deal with the sin. That is not. You're, you're not doing anybody any favors. And so, you do need to have the conversation. And I heard this guy the other day, and he was like, "Well, I just believe that all that Christians are handling the conversation wrong." You know talking about one particular thing. Now, I don't really want to go off the, all the way into that. 
that's a whole other sermon. But he's like, this one particular sin that's very popular in culture, he's saying, I just feel, I feel like they won't, they won't handle the conversation. They, they're just approaching it wrong. They're doing it wrong. And I just wanted to stick a microphone in his face and say, well, you do it right. I dare you. Because I know you won't. All you'll do is bash everybody else who's doing it wrong. Your whole ministry is built on what other people are not saying in the right way, but you never do get around to calling sin, sin. We we do have that responsibility. We need to be a city that is set on a hill. Uh, we We need to preach the truth, the unerring, unbending word of God that does not give us an excuse to do it without love and grace in our hearts. Amen. You really, you only see grace in rags. Like I said, 30 guys pulling with ropes probably would have killed him. He was stuck in the mire at the bottom. The rags are what saved his life. And that was doing more than what was right. That's, and, and that's, you know, that, that's what we're going to finally get to and where we're going to end. Um, being like Christ is doing more than what is right. It is reaching that milestone and then going on to the second mile. It is doing more than what is just, what is right, what is fair, but having such a heart of love and grace and forgiveness and compassion that we don't stop where we are correct. We go on. We, we are sacrificial in our love and service to other people. We, we give them, we don't just stand there and hold them in judgment. We do more than what, we, what is required because that's the only time that grace really appears on the scene. Justice is here and grace goes beyond that. Like I said, justice is what landed me in a sinner's lifestyle uh, going to face an eternity without God. That was justice. But grace stepped in. And just like this pastor, this man of God, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall as he looked up from his study. And I've got, you know, 30 of Spurgeon's commentaries all lined up in mine, you know? But to see him look up in his and see, uh, or, or, or to see uh, Spurgeon come through the door and say that, that, you know, and I hope that somebody else could say that about me. I hope I could hear that, Brother Johnny, that maybe somebody would come through my door someday and say, Joseph Parker, you have practiced grace on me because you did not give me what I deserved, but you gave me what I needed.